welcome to the Real Love podcast series, right here on the Sharon Salzberg Meta Hour. This series features a variety of conversations with some of the world's finest teachers and thinkers, all exploring Sharon's new book, Real Love, The Art of Mindful Connection. Real Love is a field guide for anyone seeking awakened living in the 21st century. To get your copy of Real Love, visit SharonSalzberg.com. This podcast is brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please visit www.BeHereNowNetwork.com backslash Sharon. We're just going to do hours of announcements tonight. There's no, there's no program. <laughs> um, I'm Lily. I'm Sharon's assistant, and uh, nice to see some familiar faces. Um, I just wanted to let you know a little bit about tonight's conversation. We're recording this event, and it's actually going to be part of a podcast series that is happening in a couple months' time that's part of Sharon's book release. So the book looks a little bit like this. It's very exciting. And um, prettier than that. It's prettier than this. Yeah, it's shinier and hardcover. But uh, the book is three different sections that's all about exploring love in different aspects of our lives, uh, self-love, love of another, and then love of all of life and larger communities. So uh, tonight's conversation is kind of in that third aspect because the Holistic Life Foundation does such amazing community work and are such um, activists in their really like in their local community, but also around the world. So um, just so you know, that's kind of what's happening. And uh, the book comes out June 6th. So stay tuned. Hello. <laughs> um, it's great hearing about the book actually being in this room. I started and throughout the whole process of writing the book, um, I kept meeting with people and asking them for their stories about love and their experiences. And the very first meeting was in this room. And I will say, even though it's not tonight's topic, uh, love for an other, whether it's a partner or a parent or a child or whatever, one of the best stories came out of that first meeting. So in honor of being here, I just have to tell you that story. And then uh, we'll go on, actually. Uh, so somebody raised their hand in, in that meeting here. and. And he said, you know, most of us think of a good relationship as 50-50. He said, my dog and I, we're 100-100, <laughs> which I loved. I just thought it was like the best illustration. And uh, quite a while went by because I was very late with the book. And uh, my final, final deadline was August 1st. I was in England getting ready to sit a retreat uh, with one of my own teachers. And it was the night of July 31st. I was very proud. I was like, I say like two years late and seven hours early. Uh, I was about to press send. And I thought for a moment, did that story still make it in the book? I mean, it had gone through, you know, so many iterations and changes and edits. And so 
So I looked and I had not made it in the book. <clears throat> so I quickly edited it back in and then I pressed send. So I always think of that when I'm in this room. So uh, there are three sections to the book, as Lily said. The first is about love for oneself. The second is about love for another. And the third is about love in a more global sense, love for all beings, love for life, love for even those we don't like. Um, and I realized sitting here that the first two, of course, are challenging for us in that they're challenging to make real, you know, to have a, a really vibrant, vital, alive experience of those things in our lives. The third is very challenging for us because it's hard to even believe in. You know, most of us, even if we don't feel tremendous love for ourselves, kind of think it might be a good idea. If we get over the barrier of thinking it's selfish or narcissistic, then we think, well, that would be a good idea. You know, or a hundred, a hundred relationship with our dog or anybody. Sounds like, you know, maybe it doesn't exist in my life and I don't know how to deal with the challenges, but it also sounds like a good idea. But love for all beings, it's like, I don't know. That's really tricky. So it'll be really fun uh, with you guys to, to take a look at that. So why don't we begin with a sitting? Um, you can just sit comfortably, close your eyes or not, however you feel most at ease. Let your attention settle on the feeling of your breath. Just the normal, natural breath. And this is like home base. You don't have to try to make the breath deeper or different, just however it's appearing. You can place your mind on the feeling of the breath. And when your attention wanders, because it will, don't worry about it. You find that you've been thinking about the past, about the future, about getting a dog, judgment, speculation, whatever it might be. You fall asleep, it's really okay. We say the most important moment in the whole process is the next moment after you've been gone. We practice letting go, we practice beginning again. Just gently bring your attention back to the feeling of the breath.
So welcome to New York. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. <clears throat> yeah. Does one of you um, maybe want to briefly describe the work of the Holistic Life Foundation so everything that follows can be in that context? Okay. Okay. Go ahead, Chant. I guess that's me. Before he starts, uh, we have a couple more announcements. Sign out <laughs> Uh, so the Holistic Life Foundation is a Baltimore-based nonprofit started by the three of us. Uh, fresh out of college, wanting to make a change, um, deeply into our own practice, uh, yoga, mindfulness, meditation, breath work, uh, a lot of different things. And um, I think we just saw that it did a lot for us um, as far as just like inner peace and inner happiness and uh, to a point where people would always, I mean, because we, I mean, we started with Dead Broke and people would always ask us like, why are you guys so happy? Why are you guys so calm all the time? And we, to ourselves, we would say, well, why aren't you all happy? Like, so it's not anything that we were doing on the outside. It was our inner journey that kind of sparked all this. And uh, we wanted to share it with as many people as possible. And uh, it started off really small with a after-school program for 15 boys. And then it just kind of took on a life of its own from there. And uh, we've just been trying to keep up with it, I'd say, um, and make sure that we kind of stay at least a little bit ahead of what's coming. And uh, right now we work with in Baltimore City Public Schools, it's 17 schools with about 7,500 kids a week uh, with programs during the school day and after school, all based on yoga, mindfulness, meditation, uh, and breath work. Uh, we teach in the surrounding counties 28 schools mm -hmm. in Baltimore and Anne Arundel County. Um, tons of trainings uh, for teachers. Uh, we Most of our work is uh, focused on kids because we want to get the kids early and give them the, the tools and the skills they can kind of carry on for their entire life, but uh, we do tons of work for adults and uh, drug treatment centers, mental illness facilities, um, homeless shelters, uh, for teachers. It seems like there's a lot of work for teachers around self-care, not even just using them in the classroom. Um, for parents, um, we'll be starting at both the male and female juvenile detention center in Baltimore um, in the next couple weeks. I don't know, once all the contracts are finalized, but... Um, yeah, we love what we do. We have fun doing it. And um, we just wanted to share the practice with as many people as possible. So we decided to start the Holistic Life Foundation. And it's really awesome. Honestly, uh, we've been at this for 15 years. And kind of like when we first moved back into our old neighborhood, uh, we always say it was kind of like the Wild West. Like, you know, real heavy gang problem. If you look at somebody in the eye, you better have a gun or a knife on you. Uh, but like, Honestly, the 15 years of service that we've done in our neighborhood, we've kind of transformed our community where, you know, um, it's 
it's it's pretty cool because every kid that you know is from our neighborhood goes to elementary school they take uh, yoga and mindfulness five days a week and now it's like just a common occurrence being able to uh talk about mindfulness and yoga in our hood you know what i mean so just seeing that transition in consciousness has been awesome um but then you know also just people are more uh empathetic and you know the love feeling has come back to our community you know it was gone for a while when you know, crack ravaged, you know, our community like they did, you know, most most urban centers, communities. Um, but, you know, the community village feeling is, you know, back in our, in our community. And, you know, right now, I guess we're just trying to duplicate what we're doing. So, you know, communities can form in other places as well, because it's a beautiful thing witnessing, you know, the transition from a frictional vibe, which it was when we first moved into the neighborhood to a more loving community. And I, I, it's still, to this day, you know, crazy stuff happens. We live in the hood, um, you know, but overall, you know, you can feel that village feeling back. And, you know, I do think that it has to do with, you know, our work and, you know, being love and, you know, spreading love. So I'm, I'm curious, do you use the word love when you, you talk, talk to people? Um, so it's become a little easier to use the word love. Mm -hmm. I know, um, when we first, uh, people thought we were weirdos for saying the word love. We would tell people that we love them and look at us all strange. Um, our, the first group of students we started working with from our neighborhood um, were actually, um, they would get us in trouble with our neighbor because they would sit on the rail and they broke the rail. They dented our car from sitting on the hood of our car. And she laid into us one day. And um, so when they came back, uh, one of the kids was kind of like their ringleader. Like we, we laid into all of them and he left and he didn't show up the next day. And we were sitting out on our porch and... Um, one of the kids, um, they were like, you were, so, you, you were really mean to tell you yesterday. Like, da -da -da, and just kept going on and on and on. I was like, well, I mean, you all needed to hear that, but I love all of y'all. And they were like, oh, you can't say love. You can't just say that to people. You're not allowed to say that. And these are kids that curse and yell and scream and are dropping F-bombs. But it was weird for me to say the word love. And now, like, from I don't think it's from us saying it to them. I think it's from them seeing it in action that it's like they – they'll tell us they love us when they hang up the phone or they'll, when they see us, they say, I love you. So it's like, they, it didn't become some weird thing. It was like, it was from in here. It wasn't something physical. It was something from, from deep in here that, that where that connection was made and, and it became cool to, cooler to say. Yeah, so we say it all the time now. <laughs> I asked George Mumford, who's like the meditation coach of, um, well, it was the, L.A. Lakers and the Chicago Bears. Now it's the New York Knicks. That's not as glorious a thing to say, I guess, <laughs> in New York. But uh, uh, who's an old, old friend of mine, and I said to him, do you use the word mindfulness in your work with the players? And he said, yeah, now I can, you know, because there's all that research and the science. And, and I, say, I said, do you say compassion or, or love? And he said, that's too much. <laughs> you know, but I knew he must talk about the quality somehow. So I said, what do you say? And uh, he was quiet for a while, and he said, I say, don't be hating. You know, <laughs> don't be hating on yourself. Don't be hating on anybody else. Um, and then he talked a lot about, I'm really curious about your experience of this, um, what I guess is Phil Jackson's philosophy around sports, which is you got to think like a team. And this is like, you know, obviously major, major brilliant players, superstars, and how, how to get them off of like a singular fixation on their own accomplishment to more the sense of like, we're in this together. We're here as a team. And, and so somebody asked George that, you know, and, and he said, 
because that's how you win. You know, that's how you actually win. So I'm wondering what's happened, what you've seen in people's sense of community and being together and pulling ahead together and things like that. Uh, I, I know just the first thing that popped in my head was like when we were um, just being in a room full of like 60 kids in the gym and, um, and having like uh, trying to get them to sit still and just take a couple centering breaths. And uh, it's a day where it's rainy outside and they may have been doing testing. So like their energy is just all over the place. But trying to get them to just start from there and having kids be like, well, I'm breathing. Like, no, we're a group. We're a team. Like, we all have to be doing this. And like watching them like calm each other and, and us just sitting back and watching it all play out, like not forcing it, not screaming, not yelling, just kind of sitting back. Like, all right, well, we'll wait for you all. We're going to get some quiet deep breaths in and we're going to move on. And they'll go and they'll they'll start talking to each other and they'll get a little frustrated with each other. But at the end, it's still they understand that it's it's all of them. It's not just one of them or two of them. It's every single person in that room working together to to kind of calm that energy down. And then we can move on from there. And it works every single time. I mean, it, there hasn't been a time it hadn't worked where it's just been like that one kid that's still jumping around and bouncing off the walls. It may take a little longer for some of those kids. But I mean, at some point, they all kind of like, all right, fine. OK, we're just going to sit here. We're going to do this as a group. And then we're going to move forward. And that, I feel like that builds um, like lifelong friendships with a lot of our students. Um, there's there's a lot of them that separate. They go to different schools after um, elementary school because you're in your zone elementary school. And then for middle school, you can pretty much pick and choose where you want to go. And then the same for high school. But a lot of them, when they see each other, like if it's back at the after school program or somewhere else, it's like big hugs and smiles. And like there's still that bond there from them building their camaraderie around the practice. It's all around the practice, which is cool. I mean, and you'll see them, um, a lot of them are leaders with the, with their new groups of friends. Like they, they exhibit huge leadership qualities. Um, they have like a, a spark inside of them. And even if it's, even if it's in, in the wrong direction, like even if it's out on the, if it's whether it's in a school or it's out on the streets, whatever it is, they're still leaders. They still got that spark inside and they still have that respect for us and, and for each other. So it's just, yeah, you, you build it in different ways, but I think it, it always has to be about that group and that team and not the individuals. So I know your own teacher has, you quote your own teacher as saying, love is the strongest force in the universe. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that? For sure. Uh-huh. Okay. Tell me more. And people ask me that all the time. Yeah. You know, I quote the Buddha saying like, um, hatred will never cease by hatred. Hatred will cease by love. And mm -hmm. Especially, you know, these days in this country, like, uh, people look at me and say, really? <laughs> like, where do you get off saying something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess um, I, I would say that I think the reason we, we believe it and say it all the time is because we see it. We see what, what's happened. I think um, the love that we have for ourselves and for our communities and for everyone, I think... Um, We've witnessed the transformation that it's had, like Atma was saying, in our neighborhood, uh, wherever we go, how we're always just spreading love. And it's, a, a, it's that basic concept that our teacher used to um, say to us about uh, the word respect. And he would say, you take the word respect and you break it into two words, into re and to spect. Like again, and spect, like spectacles, like to look, to look again. So he used to always tell us to respect everything and everyone and and to look again when you see them so you see them you see the physical but when you respect and you look again then you see that that infinite that is all of us you know on the atomic level on that small level that we are all the same so i look again and i see myself within that person and i love them 
And, and he taught us that early on to do that with everything, you know, beyond just people, but inanimate objects and animals and just whatever it was. So I think us just having that all the time and seeing what happens as you exude that love and you just be love and you spread love and that's all it is. That's why I think every time we talk at the end, we always say that love is the most powerful force in the universe because we've seen what it can do. And, and I say it to kids all the time when I'm talking to them about about anything really, but the main thing is usually when they're arguing and they're frustrated and I say, they're like, well, he, it's very common in our neighborhood for the kids to say, well, my mama said someone hits me, I'm supposed to hit them back. That's their go-to line. And I, at first I wanted to be like, well, your mama's wrong. Um, <laughs> but, but I never say that. I always say, well, you got to listen to your mama. But, um, you know, when he hits you and you hit him back, what's gonna, he's going to want to, you're going to want, he's want to hit you back, right? And then you're going to want to hit him back. And I said, when's this really going to end? You know, you got to learn to appreciate him and love him, you know, or her. And the kids look at me crazy when I say that type of stuff. But I think that uh, just through our practice and our journey and what we've done, we've, we've seen what love can do. And I think that's why, at least for me, I don't want to speak for the both of y'all, that I believe love is the most powerful force. I agree with Andy. Uh, you know, you. love is the most powerful force in the universe. And besides the techniques uh, that we've been teaching our youth, uh, you know, we've been loving the hell out of our kids, you know, uh, whatever they need. Uh, you know, they know they can knock on our door whenever they need anything. You know, we're a resource to our, not only, you know, the kids in our programs, but to our community. Um, and honestly, with so much hate and frictional energy in our neighborhood, like, uh, we could have gotten angry about it or frustrated or, you know, whatever. But honestly, we led with love and that love kind of opened our hearts up to be able to look for different ways that we can kind of support people, help people get into the school system and, you know, all that type of stuff. So, I mean, love uh, kind of awakens a certain consciousness in you where you won't stand for injustice or suffering and, you know, you'll really want to do something about it. You want to take action and not just sit there and complain. Like, you know, a lot of people are sitting back and, you know, upset at, you know, the po politics right now. And, you know, instead of just fussing, your, uh, fussing at your TV screen or arguing with your uh, your partner or whatever, actually see what you can do and, you know, be active. Like, be an activist and do something about it. And, you know, love will make you do that, you know? So it's powerful. <laughs> well, I mean, I know it's definitely hard sometimes, though, because um, uh, I remember uh, when we first started working with the kids in our neighborhood and we were having all those issues with them, like, destroying property and stuff, and they always saw them around us. Um, the Neighborhood Association tried to file a petition to get us kicked out of the neighborhood, not knowing that we had been living there for like forever. Like our mom grew up in the house that we lived in. So it's like we had, we were generations deep. They couldn't really kick us out. But it was like, I remember um, when they first tried to explain it to us. I don't know if you remember this. I, we were, they were across the street from us um, sitting on the steps. And I remember uh, they were trying to rationalize how they were signing a petition to kick us out of the neighborhood for working with kids who were doing some, they were doing some bad things, but they weren't looking at the fact that these kids were now doing community cleanups and helping build parks and doing all these wonderful things in the neighborhood. I remember dropping a couple F-bombs and walking away and like just, just leaving. And I'm in state and talk to them. But it was just like, we're, here, we're, here trying, we're really trying to help these kids. Like, if you all really want to kick us out of the neighborhood, like, that's how far you're going to take this? Like, the whole out of sight, out of mind thing? But it was like, I remember going back and talking to Mr. James, uh, like our, our block captain afterwards and apologizing. And he was like, I understand why you're upset, but it was just like, I felt the need 
I mean, anger won. Like, anger wins sometimes. It's not, you know what I mean? Like, anger, it's not, it's, it's there. So, anger won that battle. But, I mean, I had to go back and say something to him. So, I mean, it's, it's hard in the heat of the moment. But when you can remember to do it, some beautiful things happen. Because that anger isn't what helped everything go over. It was the love that helped fix that situation. Like, the kids kept working. The kids helped out in the community. They were, like, they would literally clean up the entire community. Like the adults were ones that were that were littering. The kids were the ones out there cleaning up. Um, they stopped destroying things in the neighborhood and were out playing and having fun and having a good time, just being kids because they had a little more structure and people to support them. So, and there's one more thing I, I was just thinking about too is, you know, when we're teaching all these these techniques to the youth and they're learning to go inward more, I think one of the most powerful things that happens is they learn to love themselves. Mm-hmm. And as they get that self-love, it's amazing to see what happens, the dynamic, how now they're more compassionate and empathetic to their peers. And it, and it becomes that family, community, neighborhood vibe like Atman was talking about. And, as, and, I, and I think seeing that, the power that it has, you know, it's so infectious. You know, it spreads. It really does. And all it takes is for one person to realize it and just... Be, really appreciate them, just love who they really are, and then they're just loving everyone, and it just keeps rolling and rolling and happening and happening more. And we always make the joke about love zombies that we're trying to keep infecting people with love, so they can go out and keep infecting other people, and we can just spread love through the world. And and that's you can see the power there, you know, where mm-hmm. just loving yourself, you can go into a room, and we get that sometimes. Where people be like, "Wow, you walked in here, I could feel the love," and I'm like. I don't even know what that feels like, but it's great to know that they sense it. And, and that's where you can sense that power. You know, it really is. It's, it's amazing. That's going to be the title of my 11th book, Love Zombies. Love Zombies. <laughs> I'm dedicated to you guys. <laughs> Love Zombies. Love it. So do you see that? I mean, has your observation been that that is a natural process as the kids start to love themselves more, just naturally they care about others more? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can't ask a kid or anyone that doesn't love themselves to care about somebody sitting next to them or somebody halfway across the world or their community or the planet or anything because they don't. There's like they're in this hopeless, angry situation where they're not connected to anything, and uh, so it's beautiful to see once they connect to themselves, and then it's just like it's kind of like the light bulb goes off. You're like, oh, okay, there is something more to this, and they start to see themselves and other people, and they start to care more, and they start to do more, and it just changes them like from the core like out and, and it just starts to ripple out they start to care about themselves and their families and their friends and their neighborhood and just everything on a bigger scale and i think even like people hearing the phrase i love you to them that is it's amazing what happens you know like in our neighborhood i say it all the time to the to the, to the parents and <laughs> they always usually you know initially it's always like who the hell are you? What do you mean you love me? You know, and, and it almost is, it's intimidating, I think, to them initially because people don't say I love you that much, you know, and nowadays, and I, when I was younger, I, it, the, the phrase I love, I said to my mom, but that was it. If I said it to anyone else, that's weird. You know, what you said, I love you to that person. So I think just it constantly being said to people, it, that power that it has, because it'll be weeks down the road after I say to the parent that looked at me crazy, but she will definitely start saying, I love you back to me, or he will. They'll start saying it more and more. And I think just having it said, it, it brings out something in you like, 
wow, you, you love me. And in, in our neighborhood, a lot of times I think that it was, it was scary for people to have someone saying I love you to them because, you know, I've had conversation with people where that phrase was negative to them because of stuff that had happened with relationships. You know, I had this one woman who told me that anytime someone told her I love you, she ended the relationship because in her experience that ended to bad things, whether she was, mm-hmm. she was physically abused at times. And so she thought the words I love you were bad and I couldn't believe it when I was talking to her. But to see the power that it invokes and can bring up in people. And by the end of the conversation, she's like, that was me later. And you can still say I love you to me. And I'm like, well, I do love you. So I'm going to say I love you to you. But um, I just think this even just saying it to people, it's amazing. So today, y'all's homework assignment is say I love you to a stranger. Walk out here. (laughs) I have to go to CVS. There you go. I'm sure the cashier (laughs) will appreciate it. So, uh, some image came up in my mind when you said that you know kids come knocking at your door. Do you ever have to turn anyone away? Do you ever say we don't have enough resources, we don't have enough energy, we are like no, I mean from a different neighborhood or anything. (laughs) Now we don't ever turn anyone away. Um, We may not have money to give them, but you know we'll give them attention and love. You know, and that's honestly you feed them, feed them, yeah, take them, walk them to the corner store. Like honestly, we are a resource to our community, and I think that is. One of the things that's missing in most underserved communities is because, you know, they don't have anybody to help support them like, you know, most people do. And I think that's the reason why our kids are succeeding at such a high level and leaders amongst their peers is because we are giving, being that extra resource to them um, and, you know, give us shower, showering them with love and respect and, you know, service. We're serving our kids. We're serving our community. It definitely becomes an unconscious thing where we just do it and like, Kind of like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Like, um, with Jer- like uh, we had like one of our students. Um, this is a kid who, in second grade, taught the entire Department of Parks and Recreation um, a- an hour-long yoga class because he was that good a teacher. Um, then, like through the end of high school, he um, went uh, within like I guess like a month. Like his father passed away, his brother, his older brother got incarcerated, and his mom was like uh, really kind of abusing drugs like to the point where she couldn't really be around like she wasn't really physically there anymore and she had warrants so she was high like yeah so she there was a lot going on so he was kind of by himself uh and he started um breaking into houses with another kid that used to be in an after school program and uh he called me one day and was like hey i need you to come to court with me and it was like i was like all right cool no problem i'll come to court and he's he's the judge like stand up and it's like so you have nothing going on at home Uh, where are you going to go live and he turns around and points me and goes, I'm going to live with my mentor. <laughs> and I was like, and, and the judge's like, is this okay? And I had to say yes. Like, I couldn't really say no. But at the time, um, I was with my girlfriend. Um, I guess my oldest son was maybe around four. And she was pregnant with our second son. And it was like, we had a basement that was, because we lived in a row, we were living in a row house in Baltimore. We used the basement. Like, that was space. And um, I remember I called her and I was like, uh, Hey, uh, you remember Jarrell? She's like, uh, she's like, yeah, I remember Jarrell. I was like, well, um, he's gonna have to come live with us for a little while. And I told her story. She was like, well, um, I, I guess we can work this out. And then it was like the whole process. I just remember her face when uh, when they had to come over and set up like the the uh, the monitoring system for the bracelet on his ankle and all that stuff. And like, it was just a whole big thing. But I mean, I couldn't I couldn't really say no. I was in a situation where 
he knew I wasn't going to say no to him, and he knew that it was the best situation for him. I mean, he definitely – it got him back on his feet and turned everything around for him. But I think if I would have thought about it, I might have been like, oh, well, you know, this might not be the best time for this. But just, like, instinctually, it's like, yeah, hell yeah, come on. Like, let's do it. We'll figure it out. So – and he's doing great now. He's one of our best teachers, and he lives in the old house we used to live in. So just put that out there for y'all, too. Yeah. Do you, do you think your understanding or your feeling about love has uh, changed and deepened from your experience with the, the foundation, the kids? <coughs> I think so. I feel like it's a, it's a whole new set of challenges these days. I mean... I guess that's that's how you learn. It's how you grow. The universe throws new challenges at you, and I think it's like uh, it's easy to do. It's easier to do when you're a, when you walk into a school and there's like sixty kids that run up and give you hugs. I mean, like that's e- that's pretty. It's easier to put into practice there than us sitting in the office and having to support like like our programs. Like the three of us are in the office most of the time now when we're in Baltimore. We only get to teach when we when we travel for the most part. So it's like we're supporting our program staff of like 34, mm-hmm. about 34. A lot of them are former students of ours that have come through the program and become teachers. But it's harder to put to to put it all together when you're sitting in front of a computer and you're dealing with angry emails from principals mm-hmm. and and like funders who say one thing and then do something else or like people who tell you uh, you're teaching Buddhism at schools and Hinduism at school. Like and he's like, no, that's not what we're doing at all. But it's like it becomes. I think it's more challenging now than it was back then. So you got to kind of come, go like go a little deeper to to let it shine through in the situations because it's it's tough in certain situations now. Yeah, and I even think just in in, in uh, lessons with our teacher, you know, I see him once a week still, and it, it changed from initially him really just bombarding us with techniques and practices, and now it's just four hour talks, and all we talk about is just love. It's that's mm. it. It's just oneness mm. and love. That's all our talk is is now. So I definitely think it's it's deepened for sure. And and I agree with Ali. It's a lot easier when you walk into a gym and everyone's hugging you, compared to you, sometimes having to stop and breathe and be like, I love this email. It'll be fine. <laughs> Everything will be fine. Anger gets a lot more wins these days than it used to. You know what I mean? Like you get pit, like I'm just getting emails of like, Are you serious? Like, and then just like. I'll meet you out for a second and, and really yeah. like step back. Like, there's definitely days where uh, just go in the back room and close the door and meditate, and then yeah. come back out and try it all over again until something else pisses me off. And I need to go, go do it again. You know what I mean, that's just the, that's the way it all works. And I, I really don't think that my understanding of love has changed. I think that I just kind of like uh, lead with it a lot more. Um, coming out of college, I was you know, anger was one of my best friends. Like, I wrote with him all the time. Um, but, you know, it never really helped me out with any situations in life. And, you know, I would think that, you know, I'm a big bad man and, you know, I need to get upset at somebody because they upset, hurt my ego. Um, but now it's more of a kind of like leading with love, even if it's, you know, I'm dealing with a conflict, you know, just figuring out how to not cause friction in my words, actions, and deeds. And, you know, it, it makes life a lot easier. That's really fantastic. <laughs> All of it. Um, I just have a few more questions, and then we're going to have some questions for you, and hopefully you have questions and comments and, and stuff, especially for these guys, so I can just sit here. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, um, I love you so much. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> we fell in love with each other. Oh, my goodness. It's um, a <laughs> program at actually the Omega Institute. Yeah. yeah. Is represented here. Yeah. Um, 
and we've been together ever since. Uh, so, um, since you don't turn away anybody, you know, that knock comes on the door and you don't say you've got the wrong zip code or something, right? <laughs> Everyone's Unless one they're Steeler fans. <laughs> I'm just joking. How do you, you know, kind of maintain? How do you sustain energy? And, uh, you know, there's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard. I get really a lot what, what you're saying. It's one thing when you're in front of somebody, especially over a period of time, you get to see them change, and mm -hmm. it's so gratifying. It's another thing when it's you're five steps removed from that, and you're dealing with the email, and you're dealing with the fundraising, and you're dealing with the office dynamics you know between people and remembering that kid who's at the other end of all of that is not that easy um, and you're not getting that immediate feedback so and then of course there's there's tragedy that happens and there's mm -hmm. you know devastation that happens and um, so how do you go on hmm. in a good spirit I mean it's yeah. one thing to go on because you have to you know we are practice yeah you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I know there's not a day that goes by that I don't at least sit and meditate for at least like a solid like half hour, um, like just to kind of get my base. I know that one of the early, early days when we first started doing the work, our teacher told us like you got to, um, he always recommended like starting your day in the light and ending your day in the light. You know what I mean? So you get your base and you kind of move outward from there. Don't try to do it from the outside in because it won't really make sense uh, and you won't be able to do it. Um, I know... Uh, there are days where, I mean, life, I got two kids, so I mean, like, uh, me and their mom aren't together, so it's like, there's a lot, there's a lot of dynamics in day-to-day -day life where I might not get to wake up and meditate right away, but I know by, like, lunch-ish, I need to stop what I'm doing at our office and go back in the conference room and close the door and set my timer and just, and get it in and then, and then come back out and move forward. I think that, and uh, we've, I think we've done a lot better job of setting boundaries um, over the past, maybe, like, year at the most but six like six months yeah oh give me an example of a boundary you guys said i mean just like, you don't turn away the kid from the different zip code that's no, not the I boundary just more more like with us like not texting each other about work yeah you know what i mean After like just, 5 p.m you know what i mean like, i can text them and say something about a tv show or a movie or something but i have to send them an email email now. like just you stuff know. like that not having um our since like it was cool and there were like we had three employees and there were three people teaching for us they need they could call us if they needed something but with 34 program staff and then our administrative staff too like that gets overwhelming and just being like look don't call if you want to call me on my cell phone you want to hang out you need some advice you want to talk you got something you want to share with me call me whenever if it's about work don't call me text me I mean, just don't text me shoot me an email i'll respond to the email i promise but just like setting certain boundaries like I, I know one other thing is like my time with my kids um is like I mean, I know what time my workday ends when they're with me. You know what I mean? And I'm not going to do any work when they're around, like my weekends or my weekends with them. And we have a hell of a lot of fun. You know what I mean? Like we have a ton of fun, but it's just like that's their time. So it's just – and also I, we, we still make time to have fun. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like we – the things that we enjoy, we spend time doing. So it's like we we carve out spaces to make sure that we're happy and we have the energy to, to continue doing the work in whatever form it takes. And also um – we're living in a golden age of comic book movies right now, and we're big comic book nerds. I didn't know. Yeah. Yes, we are. So we definitely lose ourselves in the movies. And Give me a recommendation. Um, 
Logan was Logan awesome. was pretty Logan. a little bloody though. It's a little it's a little gory. Oh, then you don't got another one. Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange, you would like you would like that a lot. That's a really good one. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. So yeah, just find different things in our lives that make us happy, put uh-huh. a smile on our face, and it recharges our battery. You don't feel guilty. You don't start thinking. A lot of people do, you know. Not you know, apparently, I mean, that smile on your face doesn't not, look guilty. Not at all. I mean, it's really one of those things that we know how important our work is, not only to our community, but, you know, to other people. Like, you know, the press that we're getting uh, with uh, replacing detention with uh, meditation is kind of helping systematic change, you know that, what I mean? I looked at that, I looked at the statistics, but that was like a while ago. There was a, tell us about it, it was like a film. Thing, yeah, right? it's, uh, we have a, a program in two schools called the Mindful Moment Program, where uh, the principals have given us 15 minutes at the beginning of the day and 15 minutes at the end of the day to play a mindfulness practice over the loudspeaker. Uh, then they've also given us a room, an alternative to suspension room, where, you know, we have like uh, meditation cushions and oil diffusers and inspiring posters and Himalayan salt crystals and fountains and you know it's like an oasis in the school so if kids are uh, you know acting out on some of their undiagnosed trauma or just upset or acting emotional they can uh, come down to our room with a pass we have three staff members uh, staffing the room where when they come in they fill out some paperwork to say why they're actually down in the room then we uh, do talk, do active listening, because, you know, our people aren't counselors, so they actively listen uh, to uh, the students' problems, and that kind of empowers our, empowers the students. Um, then, you know, they sit down with our staff, uh, do some uh, mindful breathing, specific breathing exercises to kind of get rid of ruminating thoughts and get you back to that present moment. Um, then we give them some tea, and they go back to class, and they're in a better mood. Um, and at the elementary school, which is in the epicenter of where all the Freddie Gray uprising stuff happened. Um, so you can tell what type of friction and tension is there. Uh, there has been zero suspensions there going on three years now. Um, and you know, besides you know, those two things, we're resourced to the teachers. Uh, if it's like kids who are high maintenance, we'll uh, do some outreach to those students during the course of the day to make sure that they're on task and you know, that they are happy and have a smile on their face. Um, so it's like, we're a serious resource to that school and you know the teachers love it uh, just because they don't have to deal with those challenging students and they can just focus on teaching um, and the principals love it because it keeps them it keeps their they keep they can keep their job because their numbers are really low so yeah and what happened with the film it was a, a news what was it oh yeah the mic it was just a yeah it was a clip they did they took and they they, they put it out and just did a small like minute and a half where they just showed the results of the kids and it flashes from a bunch of video footage and is basically saying how they kind of worded a little weird i always like to clarify you know they say like um they replace suspensions with the room and i always like to make it clear that you can still get suspended at the school you know if, like johnny brings a gun or a knife to school he's not just going to the meditation room He's going to get suspended. <laughs> um, but it, it really was just, you know, our goal was to just provide these techniques to the youth. And that the byproduct of that, the outcome ended up being no suspensions because instead now they're able to self-care, self-regulate, and they're becoming more compassionate. That's where you saw the self-love thing we were talking about where you could see it happening in the school and the community. So now the children aren't as, as reactionary. They're not as impulsive. Um, when they do reach those states, of high intensity, whether it be anger or frustration or stress or whatever, they now know how to take care of themselves, calm themselves down, and then respond to scenarios. So it's just not as crazy. And 
I ended up getting like 30 some million views. So that's yeah. I mean, it was wild. like some insane number. It I was. Mean, it was. I insane. looked at it really a while ago. It was like 1.2 yeah, million views. Yeah. And I said, really? I couldn't <laughs> believe it either. It was crazy. It was one of the most intense times for us because emails were just coming in from everywhere, and we don't even understand how that really happened. But hey. I know it was. It, it, I know it got really weird when uh, I was on. Uh, I was going to Cancun or um, Tulum for uh, Thanksgiving with my girlfriend. It was like 10 a.m. at the bar in the airport in uh, Atlanta. So sit, I mean, we were on vacation, so we were having a drink. It was early, but it was like um, <laughs> vacation. I had to preface that. Um, so um, and in this, so it's the the guy. There's a couple sitting next to us, and they mentioned. Um, they met, they we they hear Mr. mentioned Baltimore like oh have you heard of that program where they <laughs> change in uh, detention to meditation and da, da, da. I was like and, and I didn't even get a chance to say anything my girlfriend was like that's them that's it that's what he's doing and they were like oh my gosh and they bought us another round of drinks <laughs> <laughs> worked out well for everybody <laughs> really I have to look it up because those those numbers were unbelievable it's like, unbelievable it was maybe we all have a hope in our hearts you know that things could be better yeah definitely and we mm-hmm. just don't know how to make it so all the time so. We see something like that, and we go, whoa, look at that. And one yeah. other cool thing about that program is uh, I was talking to the principal from the high school um, that has the program, and one thing he said he, him and his staff notice is when they visit other schools, they can feel, like, the tension in the school and the stress in the school. They can feel it when they walk in, and then when they walk back to their school, they appreciate the program that much more because they can feel the stillness in there. It's like the numbers are cool, but, like, just that dramatic change in energy is, is a good thing for everyone involved. So hopefully we can get that into a few more schools because there's definitely some more schools that need it. Okay, so here's my question for everybody, which is basically, you know, if you were looking to replace the word love with another word, what would it be? Like, what would you say? Charlie, you have one? Uh, <laughs> he's got one. <laughs> Uh, no, no. Uh, um, I, I mean, I guess, uh, I guess giving would be, would be my word. Um, like, uh, in a lot of different ways. I, I, I know, uh, growing up, um, and actually the first book I've ever bought my, my, my oldest son, like for his first Christmas was the book, The Giving Tree. Um, one of my favorite books of all time, but it's just, I feel like that book embodies what love really is. Like, no matter what the boy needs, the tree's giving and giving and giving and giving and looking for nothing in return, not even looking for love in return. Like, the boy strips the tree down to a stump. This It's a stump at the, end of the, at the end of the book, and he still loves the boy. And it's like, the only thing I can offer is a place to sit. You know what I mean? Like, the boy has a place to sit. So it's like, no matter what's going on, like, you're giving and you're not looking for anything in return. I think that's a big part of what, what love is. Yeah, I, I mean, I can only reiterate what he said. I totally agree with him. I think it's, you know, just selflessness, you know what I mean? And just really putting, taking care of yourself first, you know what I mean? So your battery doesn't die. Um, but really be selfless in everything that you do and just, you know, don't look for any results. Like Ali said, just do the work. That's, I think, what love is. I can't think of a word. I've been, I've been pondering on but I can think of this one thing that uh, always resonates with me. My teacher always told this story, and he used to always talk about the world being an ocean of love. And he always used to say to us, you know, you can go up to it, and you can take a sip of it. You can get a cup, put the cup in, and drink from the cup. He's like, well, you can just dive in. And I always felt like I, I was diving in and just immersed in it, you know. And I think... For me, when I think of love, I think I always can see that ocean in me just being like, why would I put just my toe in? I'm going all in. So that's when I think about it. But I can't think of a word. 
Well, really, I'm about to ask all of you, but it's very interesting because um, when you added take care of yourself first mm -hmm. and then be unstinting in your generosity, because those are not easy to put together, mm -hmm. you know, for a lot of us, like a lot of times we think just give and give and give and give and it's so tiring, I thought, you know, <laughs> at some point, because then you're giving out of obligation or you're giving out of some weird sense and. Uh, or you think about take care of yourself and it sounds like don't give. And so how do you find both like to, to work together in some sort of dynamic that that works is the issue many people have who are in helping relationships or relationships of any kind, actually. You know, there it is. So is that our microphone to go around? Is that the one? I feel like you summed that up really well. One, I don't remember where we were and you were talking. You were talking about the uh, okay, the mask dropping down on the airplane. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. I mean that's of course the common example these days. If you're on an airplane and the flight attendants doing the safety announcements and they say, um, if the cabin pressure drops and the oxygen masks descend, put your own on first before you try to help anybody else. And <laughs> as I usually tell the story, I was talking to a writer friend of mine and I was saying. I don't think I can use that example. It's like, you know, so many of my colleagues use it, and so many of my colleagues who write write have written it, and it's like such a cliche at this point. And then the person I was talking to said, "Oh, I was just on an airplane, and they made that announcement, and the woman in the seat next to me said, I could never do that. I could never put my own mask on first. That's just like too selfish.'" So I said to her, oh, maybe I can use it as an example. It's still like difficult and provocative and challenging. Like, wow, I can use it. Because it is the perfect example. Yeah. You know, it makes no sense in one way when you think you have to be a martyr. But if you really think practically, how can I have the juice to help anybody? You got to keep breathing, right? Or it's not going to work. Um, and the last thing that one wants, even though it's a thing we so commonly do, when working really on the front lines of someone else's suffering is to kind of go down with the ship, you know? Because mm -hmm. then no one's helped and everyone's devastated. Uh, so finding that way of finding balance or remembering to, you know, yourself also, but not in the way that um, has you really creating conditions for the giving. Mm -hmm. It's very complex, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you had, how would you describe love, actually? We'll put it that way. <coughs> In its most meaningful definition for you. I think interconnectedness. I'm like, how can you not feel love? Mm hmm. So when you see life as interconnected, just naturally you feel love. Yeah. That's a good word. I should have said interconnected. <laughs> now you got your word. I got my Next word. time someone That's asks good. you. I'm going with that. Yeah, I'm going with that. Yeah. I think the person behind you. And I think along with that, for me, is the idea of to care, but not, you know, the idea of to care for oneself or to care for just to care. Mm -hmm. you know, actively, and with that sense of interconnectedness. Jenna, did you have your head up? Yeah, I think... Um, you need to use the microphone. 
Um, what, when I teach loving kindness, I, I try to bring in uh, how mudita works in connection with it. And so for me, and when I'm having conversations with either my students or my friends, family, my children, love for me is, is the, the joy in another's joy, whether or not it has anything to do with me. You know, and there's a freedom in that, you know, just for them to be loved wherever it comes from. The word mudita um, is a Pali word from the um, original Buddhist text, uh, and it means joy and the happiness of others. Um, it kind of goes along, an exploration of that quality goes along with like an exploration of compassion. Like how do we respond to the witnessing of pain or suffering? How do we respond to the witnessing of someone else's joy? or happiness, usually not that well, actually. Uh, you know, of these various qualities that are taught together, like loving kindness and compassion and sympathetic joy, or mudita. Um, many teachers would say that for a lot of us, joy and the happiness of others is, is the toughest one. Like, sometimes we don't have compassion for somebody because we're in a hurry or it doesn't strike us that they're acting from a, a place of pain. And if somehow we get that sense, then it, it, you know, we can go, ooh, you know, it's a funny way to define your life. Like, that's the most you think you can do is, you know, be cruel or whatever. Um, but to actually have happiness for others, well, some people have that ability naturally, and I think that's a beautiful, beautiful trait. For most of us, it's kind of a challenge, uh, but possible. You know, it, it means unwinding a lot of assumptions like um, happiness is a limited commodity in this world and the more someone else has, the less there's going to be for me and things like that. We just assume, or you have everything and you will forever. <laughs> you know, and I, I have nothing and I will forever. So there are a few problems with that one. And of course, nothing is forever and things are not always what they seem on the surface. That somebody has everything. And it may be that we, it's not that we have nothing. We might have nothing, I mean, we're breathing, right? That's something. But we might have nothing much we're noticing or appreciating or valued by others, you know, so we don't take the time to value it. And um, there are all kinds of issues, but all kinds of possibilities with that. So a very interesting quality to kind of look at. Um, it's a lovely question, uh, and, and I think of David Rico's work. Um, David Rico's a psychotherapist, uh, has written a lot about relationships and loving relationships, and the way he defines it is uh, the five A's. So it's, um, someone help me out uh, if I don't get all five, but it's like accepting, allowing, appreciation, attention, affection. Mm. So all those nuances together. That's nice, and too late for my book. It's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> my book is too big anyway. <laughs> um, hi. When I think about love, my favorite word right now, it changes, but my favorite word right now is understanding. Um, and I think that's because when you're talking about leading with love and approaching a situation, I think it's 
for me, it's like understanding where the person's coming from. So if you're coming at me with anger, um, whatever, and thinking about why you're angry, it's probably because you're hurt. It's probably because you're afraid. It's probably because of something bigger than like this interaction with us. And so seeking to understand and then connecting that to, I cannot seek to understand someone else if I don't understand myself and I don't understand my emotions. Um, and so how that understanding of myself allows me to better understand someone else. And I think that always seeking that in every single interaction is love for me right now. Thank you. Uh, I think the word I would choose is presence. Really staying with the difficult things with someone else and not abandoning them. Mm. And not abandoning yourselves too. Mm, nice. And also, of course, uh, if you have any questions, um, they'd be delighted to entertain them. <laughs> and uh, I'm really curious um, about that place, you know, that we talked about where you really care about maybe the people you're working with or someone in your family you're trying to take care of, and there's some need to replenish or renew, you know, or, or find something that will help fill you to, to keep going and what happens when you're there. I'm curious to know how you're there. You need to use the microphone. Oh. Just right there, look at that. It's magic. <laughs> how, um, how you are there for each other uh, in times of need or, or how you question how you uh, replenish, replenish one another and has that been an ongoing thing since you've known each other and you've known, what, have you known each other? For 15 years, is that it? Or? They've known each other for a little while. Yeah, I've been stuck with him my whole life. They're yeah, brothers. they're brothers. They're brothers. They're brothers. They're brothers. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I, I can't speak for them, but just saying, I mean, without them, I don't think I could have done this work. Uh, there's so many times, we always make a joke, you know, the first eight years we did this, we were doing everything for free, and we're very, um, very broke. Very broke. <laughs> and I think one of the things that I know helped me along was I wasn't the only broke one. I was like, yeah, I mean, I have money, and, but my two brothers are just as broke as I am. So I always had them. And, 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 and when we were, I think, growing in our practice and going inward and, and that transformation was occurring, it was, it was a blessing to have two people going on the same journey as me that I could talk to, that I could share, um, whether it was my frustrations and, 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 you know, and, and kind of shortcomings of what was going on with my life or what I was seeing in the world and just upset that so many people I felt like were suffering and they didn't know what, for some reason, I felt like I got introduced to as a blessing and, and to learn how to do and, 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 and the victories that we had and, and, you know, just always having them there, I think, is essential. I, I would not be who I am. Um, today, and I, I don't think I would have been part of this journey if it wasn't having two guys like them that I could always, I always knew had my back, were always there for me. Um, even when people would judge us and tell us, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Get a real job. Why are you so lazy? Y'all are just like a bunch of hippies and this and that. And we're like, what do you mean? You're, I don't want to attack you back, but you're miserable all the time. <laughs> like, why would I want to do that? Um, so I, I think it was essential, I think, to our success and, 
to this day, I mean, I get you know, I'm tired of them because we hang out all the time, goodness <laughs> gracious. But uh, no, we still, we, people always think that we're with each other all the time and we really don't get to hang out with each other like we used to when we were in college and stuff like that. But when we get to, it's still a whole lot of fun. So, uh, I mean, I love them to death and <laughs> I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be who I am without them. So. I just need to know, you can pass the microphone to whoever's in the who in this room would identify themselves as a hippie without feeling embarrassed about it? <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I was tempted to say, I was at Woodstock, actually. <laughs> I want you all to know that. I'm a real hippie. <laughs> I was, anyway. I knew he loved you for a reason. Yeah. You see that? I'm just getting back to love and self-love. When I practice RAIN and I get from the recognize to the allow, that each time I get to the allow feels like a radical thing to do and it feels uh, it feels like revelation each time that I can give that to myself and in that is the recognition of how much pushing away how much subconscious fighting there is to what is I mean that's a it's a real moment for me every time and that feels like self-love to, to mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you want to describe it or do you want me to describe what rain is Okay. Well, it's, it's a particular mindfulness technique that, uh, you know, is fairly popular. Different teachers use it and or suggest it. Um, let's say you have a strong emotion comes up and uh, you don't know how to relate to it. You know, our temptation is to either dive into it and feel overwhelmed or to not like it and try to push it away. And so what's suggested as an alternative is RAIN, R-A-I-N. So rec first recognize what's happening. There's anger, there's joy, there's sadness, whatever it is. And then the A is described differently. You said allow, I think. Sometimes people say accept, I usually say acknowledge. It's just recognizing this is what's happening right now. Instead of feeling like, you know, my God, I've been practicing for 45 years, why is this still here? Or how embarrassing, or you know. I've got to do something to make this go away. It's just like, this is it. This is what's happening. This is like the truth of the present moment. And then I is uh, also used differently, but I'd say investigate. I don't know what you, you did. Um, uh, it basically means investigate, not uh, analytically in the sense of theoretically, like why is this here and what happened to me earlier that I have this, but like what is this? What's happening right now? Because when we look add a very strong emotion, we so often find many emotions within it, right? So we look at strong desire, maybe we find a lot of loneliness in there. And that's interesting, because if we were to act on it, it'd be much smarter action if we took that into account, you know, than just the topmost level. If we look at very strong anger, so often we find fear in there, sadness in there, um, helplessness in there. So. What is this? What's happening right now? And then uh, the N for rain is basically not identify. You know, don't don't um, make what is really another passing state the be all and end all of our existence. You know, like I'm such an angry person and I always will be. Or somebody actually suggested to me he was, I think, a sociologist, not not particularly you know coming from the meditation side, but. He was suggesting that the, it would be wiser to, to, it's like experiment it with saying, I feel anger rather than I am angry, mm. right? Um, 
or it's the way people, I was talking about this last night here, re relate to diseases, the difference between saying I have something or other than I am a, you know, whatever. And so that's kind of not identifying, it's recognizing, yeah, this is the experience, the truthful experience of the moment, but it's not all that I am, right? So that's rain. Do you have a microphone? Yeah. I just did a, uh, a silent retreat up at the center that you co-founded. Uh, thank you for co-founding. Yeah, thank you for going. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a five-day retreat where you don't have eye contact, you don't talk for five days. And, and you get your own cell and your own cell block. And, and you kind of <laughs> we can say room, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was thinking that you know the prison system in some ways could theoretically offer a sense of silence and community because it's not like you're alone being silent for five days. You're actually in a community of people doing the same thing. So you don't feel isolated in the practice. And I was wondering if you guys, I know you mentioned you were beginning to kind of go into uh, detention centers. Was that, mm -hmm. um, but it, it feels like such an amazing opportunity for, for this practice in the prison system because in many ways they're in a retreat. A different order, but it's still, a, a, you know, there's community there and there's the opportunity to reflect and not have a lot of distractions. And Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great opportunity for us. Yeah, we've been trying to get into the into the system for a long time. There's been a lot of uh, barriers for us. For some reason, they want to make sure that we're getting paid to do the work and we wanted just to do it for free. So we, it's like every time we're right about ready to get done, got our background checks, we're in, they show us everything, they're like, uh, we're gonna wait another year until we get some funding. And we're like, what do you mean? Or we'd get the funding, and they it were like, wasn't the right uh, we don't like that type of funding, we wanna fund it ourselves, we'll get some more funding and hold it back. So, um, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for us, and like you said, hopefully we can um, get that, that sense of feeling where it's like a silent retreat in actual cells. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm we kind of looked at that at it as like you know an opportunity. Like they, they like they could be masters living in caves. You know what I mean? Because they are secluded like that. So it's really one of those things. Like we did see that as an opportunity that if we do kind of teach, you know, give these people some tools to be able to kind of self love and meditate. You know, all that type of stuff. Then you know we might have some you know people pumping out a lot of positive energy from the jails. Us, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, I work for an organization called the Lineage Project, and we teach to at-risk and incarcerated youth in New York City. And some of my colleagues and their colleagues also do the Liberation Prison Yoga program here in New York City. And utilizing the same stuff, mindfulness, meditation, and yoga. Um, and just along the same lines that you were thinking, and, and I also work with refugees and humanitarian aid workers, one of the things that that we all know is that when you, I mean, really at the end of the day, the one thing that you have is your body and your breath. And, uh, and we've, we've experienced that, that people come to that realization and they see it as a, as a resource. You know? I don't know where to give it. It just feels like, I just <laughs> <laughs> Last year, our whole staff read Between the World and Me, and one part that, as I understood it, was uh, Coates was talking about a certain amount of fear 
being needed to keep especially young men safe. And last night, we all teach at the same school. Some of our boys uh, were the victims of some police brutality and came in very shaken today. Um, and I find myself really torn because we teach a lot about interconnectedness and love and the power of love in our classrooms. But then I also find myself wanting to make sure you're being, you know, you also need to be on your guard. You need to be careful. You need to be, you need to keep yourself safe. You need to keep your body safe in a world and society where that's not guaranteed, especially for our young men. Uh, so I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about that tension. I experience it a lot in my work between fear and love and keeping them safe and then how awareness can play into that and, and just fostering that a little bit more. Uh, I know one of the first things we do for our students is um, like when we're teaching the practice, I mean, a lot of them live in neighborhoods where it's you got to be on point, like you can't not be whether it's the police, whether it's other people and other peers in the neighborhood, whatever people from outside of the neighborhood. Like you got to be on point and we got to we try to explain to them that the practice is about awareness. You know what I mean? Like like and not like a hypervigilant awareness, you know what I mean? Like that tense awareness, but like kind of like a Jedi and Star Wars t-shirt. But you know what I mean? Like that, that calm awareness, you know what I mean? Like you can be aware and you can be present and you can be calm doing it or you can be like like you can be like tense and stressed out and hold on to a bunch of stuff while you're aware too. But um. I think I think that's it. I mean, and, and I think the, I don't know, I, I think the practice develops a certain amount of awareness, but fearlessness at the same time. Um, you know what I mean? I, I feel like that's a part of what, what comes from it, just putting it all in perspective and knowing that the universe is going to put you in situations that you may not want to be in or that, or that your ego may not want to be in, but you're there to learn or whatever. But uh, it's just those situations that you have to be in and, and I don't know what it is about the practice. It's just a connection to your deeper self and and like just the knowing of who you who and what you really are, um, kind of just changes your perspective on what it is. But I mean, it's you, you definitely have to. They definitely got to be aware. You can't ask them to. I don't know. This one thing our 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 parents and our and our teachers teacher was always said. You can't have like your your head in the clouds and your feet on the ground. Like you got to be aware of what's going on. Like you can't be so lost in it that you're just floating around. But you gotta, if your feet are on the ground, you also gotta be aware of what's going on around you. That was kind of what he said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's why I went to Danny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he edited that quote a little bit. Uh, our teacher actually said, you can't have your head in the clouds while your ass is on the ground. <laughs> um, I like uh, Sarah said, I we also teach. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, I we I teach at the same school, um, and I have a, another question, particularly thinking about um, the difference you've been able to make with uh, your kids in schools, um, especially. Um, I have two boys in my class, um, and they they exhibit some of the most. Um, angry reactions to the smallest things that I've seen in my um, experience. And I'm just wondering, like, where is a good starting point um, for for address for helping them to address that? Um, just the way that they, because it worries me, <laughs> uh, the way that they uh, lash out um, to just the, just, can you pick up your pencil? Like, those kinds of things, like, are there's so much, like, just deep, hurt 
that comes out in that way, and I'm wondering how you address that with your kids um, and where you would begin. Do you do any um, mindfulness practices with them at all? Or? Um, we, well, Sarah in her classroom and um, Nick here um, have also have started doing kind of breathing exercises with them. I don't do it as much with it, like as consistently, um, and I think that's something that I see the need for. Mm. Um, and is that kind of where you think would be the the starting point? Actually, we were probably all think, hoping we would say breathing, because uh, yeah. like we've seen it work some amazing, make some miracles happen with some kids that were really, really, really angry kids because they've been hurt so much by by any and everyone, and the only way they knew to kind of stop people from hurting them was to kick someone's butt. Like, like little girls, little boys, didn't matter how old or young they were. Um, like we've seen pre-K kids like curse out people and beat them up. We've seen like one of our best student teachers now when she was in like the third or fourth grade we saw her knock boys out like fifth grade boys out and it was just like they were hurt they were hurting inside and people were just kind of piling on and the only way you could make stop was to make someone else hurt and then just them getting into the practice and particularly the breath um and feeling like what stillness felt like and what inner peace felt like and and realizing when they were getting away from it and it was a slow process but just like just the fact with with her i mean even, even a little girl like literally two days before we see her beating someone up and then like we walk into the gym one day and she's got a girl pinned against the wall like cocking back to cracker and she she's like looking at us and the girl and she's like you better be glad i do my breathing and meditation and let her go and, uh, <laughs> sits down in the corner starts breathing and stands back up and joins her friends so it's like they'll get it but they have to be introduced to it because there's no peace on the outside, for a lot of kids, there's no peace on the inside or on the outside. So it's just constant chaos and turmoil and getting hurt and getting let down. And it's got to come from within. So when I feel it, when they feel it, they're like, oh, okay, this is a little different than everything else I'm experiencing. And and then when they start to drift away from it, they're like, well, no, no, no I do know how to get back there. Yeah. And I don't know, I do know how to get back there. And it's the shorter distances that they're traveling away from it and the shorter time they're spending away from it, they're constantly pulling themselves back. And, I think that's what clicked for her. It was like, oh, wait a minute. I, oh, no, no, no. I know what this is. This is anger right here. And I don't have, I, I have another option. And she pulled herself back to center and she went on with it. Yeah, yeah. And then understanding like the science of the breath, I guess to build off of that, uh, most of these kids are usually acting out off of things that happened to them in the past. And, you know, they're not in that present moment and kind of understanding how uh, the exhale is complete, is uh, directly linked to your ruminating thoughts. And when you are doing deep breathing with the kids, you know, uh, after you kind of build up, uh, you know, a, a practice for them, maybe try to get them to do like a one to two ratio to really completely fully exhale, like on the inhale, if you inhale for two seconds, exhale for four seconds or whatever. But the uh, exhale is very important uh, in regards to getting kids in that present moment. Um, and, you know, they're usually not in that present moment. That's why they're acting out and being angry and, you know, probably reflecting on something from the past. So just once again the breath yeah and then I, I would say another exercise that helps sometimes is um and it helps with adults too i mean all of y'all if you haven't done this is a great one i think and it's just about awareness of yourself and, and what happens with you so um you just get them to write down scenarios and people things that happen to get them pissed off kind of they frustrate them just to get them to write them down you know you know it might be johnny might be sitting 
waiting in line, whatever it is, get all those, like we call them stressors, whatever it is that stresses them out, that frustrates them, and then get them to write a list of their physical cues too, because all of us have it. And what do we do when we get angry? Do you clench your fist? Do you tighten your jaw? Do you shift your weight? Do you play with your hair, bite your nails? Whatever it is that they individually do, so that now they'll know. And so you've given them the breath and you've given them the technique for to, how, how to calm themselves down. But hopefully after they write those things down, they're now aware and they're like preparing themselves. So they know in second period that uh, Johnny next to them really frustrates them and, and kind of gets on his nerves or something. So, or they know that they don't like this teacher. So they're prepping themselves and they're getting in. And then when they see that that physical stressor is occurring and they're here and they're like, oh, now they know, let me use the breath to calm myself down. And hopefully if they're more aware of what's going on with them, then they'll be able to use the technique to kind of still the situation and calm it down. And I see a, a, that whenever we do those sessions with people, after a while you see, you can tell that the people are starting to use the techniques more. So it's something you can try with them. And I know uh, <clears throat> Andy does this a lot. Like when uh, kids are like actually in conflict and fighting with each other, the breath is so powerful that he'll kind of separate the kids, make them do their breath, have, put their hand on their heart, and he tells them to be mindful of, you know, you slowing your heart rate down. And, you know, they kind of see that, uh, you know, when they slow their breathing rate down, slows their heart rate down and kind of calms them down, they'll usually look at Andy like, oh, man, thank you so much, Andy. You know, and Andy's like, nah. He's like, that's not me at all. I'm teaching you the technique. That's you. And, you know, the breath empowers the kids, you know. Um. I was wondering if you guys could talk a little bit more about your journey into like the public school system with with your practice and um, I think especially with public schools definitely our public schools probably need this practice the most in my opinion um, but since you know we're dealing with like state funding and things like that what they want to see the data to back it up and mind, mindfulness for in a for a while just had this like kind of touchy feely vibe to it that I don't think schools were like quick to hop on that bandwagon and, and still aren't and it's great that like people are finally measuring some of the effects of this mindfulness and we have data to back it up that we can present but I'm really curious about like how you guys kicked it off in Baltimore what was that experience like you talked a little bit about how you know you're still getting emails where either students or parents or principals might be think thinking that you're teaching some sort of religion in school which isn't necessarily the case at all um, but like how did some of those first conversations go how did you guys find yourself into that public school system in Baltimore Ali's pretty intimidating so he just runs in the office and says <laughs> we are gonna make them meditate and that's just how it works I wish it was that easy. <laughs> I, I think it just it just happened the first time. Like a uh, principal saw us picking our mom up from school, and I uh, knew we just graduated from college, and was like, "Hey, do you guys want to coach football?" And we were like, uh, "We'd like to do something because we're all football. We all love football. We wouldn't really, we didn't really want to be football coaches, but we're like, well, can we do an after school program and teach the kids yoga and how to meditate and stuff?" And she was like, "Okay." I mean, this was like '01, so I mean, it was like it wasn't as popular as it was. Yeah. It, or as it is now so it's just like she was like all right cool I don't, I don't care what you all do if you all are gonna work with these kids so then it was um that was how it started and then it just kind of we worked our way through it we was like a lot of um 
a lot of them like knocking on doors, like, look, we'll give you this program for free. Like, just let us get in here and work with the kids. And then we did a study with Hopkins and Penn State, um, first randomized control trial on yoga and mindfulness and urban youth. And um, that uh, started opening up a lot of eyes because in Baltimore, Johns Hopkins is a big deal, like a really big deal. So it's like um, we could go into meetings and people would be like, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, baby. And then you slide a piece of paper across the table with Johns Hopkins on it. And they're like, oh, well, maybe we are interested in this. So, I mean, it was just like, and then trying to build relations with with this, with like the district office. Um, and uh, like show, I remember we, we, our first meeting with them, they put us in four of the toughest schools. And we're like, if you guys can make it work here, we'll, we'll do more for you all. They put us in the elementary, middle and high school. They were all alternative schools in a high school that needed a whole lot of help. And we got like the, the, I mean, the practices work, you know what I mean? Like despite what you, despite what people want to say or don't want to say, like the practices work, um, it's just getting kids to buy into them. We were really good at engaging the kids, getting them to buy into the practices and showing them practical ways to incorporate them in their lives and how to share them with other people. And uh, it just kind of, and then it started to really kind of grow out from there. So it's like not us having to like knock on doors and like, please let us just teach work with the kids. But now it's like principals calling us like, hey, well, I know what you guys do. Um, I'm interested in this program. I have this amount of funding for next year. I want to write you guys in the budget. Can we sit down and talk? And then, or the district saying, hey, well, we have a few schools that we want you all to be in. Um, let's let's figure out how we can make this work. And uh, I think one of the things that that study did was, I think that was the, the most frustrating part about the email that we got about the person talking about us teaching like Hinduism and Buddhism in schools is that we're very, very, very careful with what we say in schools. Like we don't even say we're teaching yoga, we're teaching stress reduction and, and uh, stress reduction and relaxation. relaxation. Mm. Um, we don't teach meditations, we're teaching silent reflections. We don't use Sanskrit words for anything. Like the kids name the breaths, um, the stress breath, the taco breath, the Bigfoot breath, uh, the snake breath. Like there's all these different breaths, but they're all, they're all pranayama exercise, but they name them something different. Um, so we're very, very careful with language and the way we present it. And, uh, and I mean, Baltimore is still in the South, I mean, technically. So, I mean, it, it's it's very religious place, but um, we did get that one. And I think that was the most frustrating part about that email is that like, no, that's not what we do. That's not, like our personal practice. Yeah, I mean, it's a very deep spiritual practice. But when we walk into that school, there's another set of rules that we're working by. We make sure we stay within that box, but still give the kids the, the practices to use. Do you guys need an official break or anything? Do you need to stretch or are you okay? Okay, I have a question, then I'll turn it over to you. So you don't do, like you get an email, come into my school, I have funding. You don't do it yourself anymore, right? You're sending in kids who originally taught, who are now grown yeah. up. And so how, how do they get supported? Like when they freak out or they feel discouraged or they're overwhelmed, they have each other. You have like a community forum for them. They have you, mm -hmm. like what happens? I know one of the, the best things is like when they come in and they come into the office and like, I'm so stressed out. I'm so frustrated with this. I can't do it anymore. Da, 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 da. First question I always ask them is like, when's the last time you meditated? And they'll be like, well, you know, I taught meditation the other day. I was like, no, 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 that wasn't my question. When was the last time you meditated? And then they'll, and they were like, well, um, I was like, well, look, we'll help you like physically with whatever you need. Like, well, whatever you're saying you need some more support with. But try, give me like, can you give yourself like a week, like, like meditate every day and see how that problem looks in a different way. You know what I mean? And, and they'll come back and they're like, all right, yeah, okay, my bad. I mean, like, and I think that's one of the biggest things between us and some of our teachers now is that we were, we were all in with our own personal practice. Like we, that was where our base was. 
and a lot of them are like just they're just teaching it and not taking the time for their own personal practice. And I feel like they get frustrated because, like to some extent, we kind of made it we kind of made it look a little easier than it really is because because we were deep in our practice. You know what I mean? Like we were we were centered. Like we were there. We were working with the kids. We were present with them. And like when you're, I don't think that would even be possible. Like without taking the time to stop and, and go within and then kind of work out from there. So I think that's one of the the things that they that we always bring them back to is, is having our own practice. And then you, I, I sort of remember some other time we were together, you said you brought in somebody to teach like trauma-affected mm -hmm. yoga, or I forget what it's actually called. But. Yeah, uh, we bought, because I mean, we bought down, uh, we bought down David Emerson to teach about trauma and yoga. We bought, um, we had a uh, sat beer from up at Harvard talk with them about um, research and like anatomy and physiology and yoga. We had um, two of uh, two people from out in Richie's lab out in uh, mm -hmm. in Madison yeah. talk about uh, neuroscience and mindfulness. So we we've like trying to throw a lot of things at them to give as many tools as possible so that they know exactly what's going on. And we want them to grow in the organization. We want them to just sit around and be teachers for the rest of their lives. Like we want them to be able to come do stuff like this or go and lecture somewhere like we want them like they've have i mean some of our students have 15 years of practice under their belt you know what i mean and they're teachers now so it's like they've got a long history with watching the organization grow so and we want to kind of push them into more leadership mm -hmm. roles and, and kind of have them take more responsibility so we want to build up their knowledge base so they can do a little more uh one of the things during the silent meditation that probably the, the thing I looked forward to the most was the Dharma talks at night. And I'm, you know, but it's kind of rooted in the Vipassana tradition and you have this sense of a many thousand year old tradition and there's symbols all over the hall that kind of reference that. And since you guys can't really bring that tradition directly in, it, do you have a structure for kind of Dharma talks so people can see, you know, experienced, skillful, people have been doing this, they can, you guys can be kind of role models in the way that monks and, and people that do Dharma talks function in the Buddhist tradition. Like, how do you guys kind of propagate the wise person, you know, role modeling kind of thing? I mean, we have discussions in all of our classes. Um, I mean, and it's about topics like, like, that, like you would hear in a Dharma talk or, or somewhere like that, but it's just we, we have to make it a little a lot more secular and a lot more um, um, in a way that they'll accept it and understand it. And it means practical. something to them. Practical. Yeah, it has to be a lot more practical. So we make sure. And, and the funny thing is, like, the, um, the high school kids, like, a lot of the classes that we teach in high schools, like, we don't even really roll out the mats. Like, it's mostly chair-based, like, some breath work, some mindfulness practices, maybe a little bit of light chair movement. And then a long discussion and then end with the meditation. It's like we might just throw a topic in the middle of the room and let and they'll go with it. And they'll go and they'll go and they'll go and they'll, and they'll, they'll be, they'll constantly be bringing it back to the practice. Like either if they know it or they don't know it, but it's just discussions are important because that's the part of the practice that they're going to have throughout most of their life. You know what I mean? Like the, it's like you can sit and breathe, you can, you can sit and meditate, but when you get up, and you walk outside, like that's when the, the talks and the, and the discussions are actually going to make the practice practical so that you can actually live it instead of just practicing it from time to time. Yeah, you, you, eventually it'll make its way back to you. Hi. Um, okay, my question is kind of related because um, 
I guess I have a question about like when you're the spiritual role model, um, and it sounds like you do a lot of your work in the office at this point, but when you're with the kids or when you were with the kids more, you know, um, how did you, how did you, if you were having a personal problem or a spiritual problem, you know, I guess this is also a question for Sharon too. Um, how do you deal with that? Did you ever kind of represent that to them? Uh, because I think that people think if they're this sort of spiritual mentor, they have to, I mean, sometimes I think anyway, I have to appear perfect. You know, when I'm mentoring young adults, I think I have to appear, appear perfect. You know, so how do you do that? Do you kind of ever let them in on like, you know, your own imperfections? Do you display that in a, in a kind of way? Or do you sort of try to appear like you always have it have it down and how you negotiate that? I know if we had to be perfect, we would have fired ourselves a long time ago. Um, right, right. We're just, we're just us. You know what I mean? Like the good, you take the good, take the bad. You know what I mean? It's like it's and the facts of life things. Yeah, right? take them both in there. Yeah, but uh, like it's just like we're Love just gonna life. like we're gonna be us. Like you know what I mean? Like we talk to the kid. Like if the kids sometimes the kids ask us like, well, what's wrong? And we're like, okay, well, this is what's going on with me. You know what I mean? Like I think that's how they learn. That's how we learn. And like everybody's a teacher like i mean like you can you can learn from anyone in any situation or anything so it's like if you're out there and you're and you're and they see you're messing up like then they're like oh well i mean i don't have to be perfect to do this either i remember we were um at uh we were up in boston teaching uh teaching meditation <laughs> teaching meditation for um this um these uh these investors right and so we're sitting up there in the teaching it's like well um and at the end, one of the guys comes like, well, I, I had a really good time doing this today, and I can see how it helped my life, but uh, but I drink a lot of beer, so I don't think I can really do this. And we're looking at each other like, man, we drink beer all the time. Like, it has nothing to, it has nothing to do with it. Like, it's like, it's your own journey. Like, it's your own inner journey. Like, you're going to mess up all the time. Like, I feel like trying to glaze over it makes life a lot harder when you can just be yourself, and you mess up, and you get back up, and you mess up again, and you get back up again, and you just... As long as you keep getting up, I guess that's the the whole thing. And people are going to help you up. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's the the coolest thing about it. Like, when you do fall down, there's other people around. Instead of you suffering trying to get back up, you got all these people around you to to help you through the the process. Yeah, I think, like, one of the reasons we've been so successful is because we are authentic like that. And we're genuine. And, And when you share those instances of your imperfections with the people you're working with, it just is going to strengthen your bond because they're going to see that you're opening up to them and you're willing to share your stumbles and, and the obstacles you faced and how you have messed up. And I don't know how many times I've, I've had a conversation with a child where they didn't, I could see they were struggling with opening up to me and it wasn't until I told them something about how I messed up or, hey, I was in your same, this, you know, I, I used to be like this, so I used to do this and I, I'm still, you know, yesterday I did this. And, and that's when they kind of look at you like, oh, well, well, you know, this happens to me too, and they, it allows you to open up because, you know, no one's really perfect, so there's no reason to put up a, a facade or be fake or front. And they, and if you try to, the kids are gonna call you out and be like, "Man, come on, man, you just how you are," and stuff like that. So we just, you know, just keep it real and just be yourself. I think it's so essential, and they're gonna resonate with that, and it's gonna be that magnetism, and you'll be able to teach, and, and they'll be able to learn more. And, you know, we do, like they said, we do make mistakes and we, you know, have shortcomings and stuff like that. But I know one of our philosophies uh, as far as work is check your own stuff at the door. You know what I mean? And, you know, it's really so you can be present and being there for the kids. And, you know, it's certain technique, uh, like the stress breath that Ali was talking about. 
I always try to do that before I teach uh, any classes just because it kind of gets rid of those, you know, once again, those ruminating thoughts to get you to that present moment so you are not worried about not bringing your stuff, uh, you know, to the students that you're supposed to be trying to uplift, you know. And we never try to model or fake it, you know what I mean, at all. Um, but we do try to check our stuff at the door and just try to really be there for the kids 100%. I want to <clears throat> um, ask about that tension, Sharon, you mentioned before, you know, that how do you balance that caring for oneself and having, you know, I guess the word boundary often is used, but it sounds like maybe boundaries are, you know, not always how, you know, how um, you, like, not so strict or so kind of clear cut. But how do you balance that with the sense of, you know, giving 100% um, and, and perhaps, you know, what, what I'm hearing is like this sense of self-love really comes into it. Like if you can ha really own that self-love, then you can actually have space and, and to really take care of yourself first. But I want to hear a bit about, you know, how do you balance that, especially when you're working with, you know, kids who you know, have really big needs and, you know, you're in the community, they're at your door and there will be times when, you know, like they're knocking and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm really busy right now like, or I'm really exhausted or, or have my own stuff to deal with. Um, so whether it's, you know, like feeling I need to be, you know, perfect or having to be kind of um, strong enough for everyone else. But, you know, just, yeah, I would like to hear a bit more about that tension. I mean, I know we're, like I said, we're, we're there for this. I don't live in our neighborhood anymore. Um, after my, my sons were born, I, I moved to a different neighborhood. But I remember living, when I was living there, there were times where you might have to tell a kid, like, hey, look, I'm in the middle of something right now. Could you come back in, like, 20? Like, because sometimes they needed something. Sometimes it's just, hey, can I have 25 cents to go to the store? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, one of those type things. So, like, you know when a kid is really in need and when, when they're, they're kind of just, they just want a little attention. So it might be just like, hey, um, I know I've said it to plenty of kids like, hey, look, I'm in the middle of something. Is this really dire need or can you come back in like an hour? So or like other times where it's like um, we're like you we used to have like that, like, like our, our little period. We could like get a break before the after school program. Which, like, I was thinking of that story. Like I'm like, going to I'm going to they can scream and yell as much as they want. I'm going to finish my nap and then I'm going to get up and I'm going to help them because I know if I don't get this nap in, I'm going to be beat for these kids when it comes when like when five o'clock hits. I'm going to be dragging. I still need to be on because that's when the kids are in the gym. There's 60 kids running around the gym playing football and basketball and dodgeball and the three of us in there. And you can't start to lose your focus then. So it's just like you, you, you kind of it may not you're still there for them. But at some point, you got to be there for yourself, too. So like those those naps were important. Those times of like come back later were very important and just kind of carving that space out for yourself so you can be there. Like when you are there, like I'm saying, you're there 100 percent for them. When you when you said it, all I could think of was when that same nap time Ali's talking about. So they would used to the kids like twenty of them on our porch, and I used to tell them all, "Look, program doesn't start till two thirty. Andy naps from two to two thirty. Okay, so you can come up on the porch. You're gonna knock. I'm not answering the door till two thirty, right? And I remember we'll get them. They would chant, "Who do we want?" Andy, when do we want him now? I Who do we want? And and I and it's like two 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 o five two fifteen, and I'm like they're gonna stop. They're gonna stop. There's no way they're gonna keep us up. Who do we want? Andy, when? And I'd just be like, oh my. And I would come on like, come on, y'all. Like y'all know it's, it's it's my nap time, you know. So I think again, just just the love, you know, the love for the kids. We love being there, but having those boundaries, being 
being able to say to them, hey, come on, man, like, give me a little bit of time to nap, like Ali said, so you're not overwhelmed when they're around. And again, it's the practice, you know, understanding where they're coming from. I'm understanding that a lot of them don't have positive role models in their life, positive male role models in their life, people who are there for them all the time, and knowing that that's kind of what our purpose was. And it's difficult because, you know, I think I can speak for them when I say that Holistic Life Foundation is our baby. You know, this is something we started, and, and, and it can be hard because there'll be times where I know my lady looks at me like, are you serious? It's 10 o'clock. You're still working? Like, come on. You don't have to do this all the time. And I'm like, I have to. Let me just answer like seven more emails and then we can go do this or something. You know, and, and you got to make those boundaries because then it's not going to be as, as, I don't even know, I can think of a word for it, but it's just not going to be as clean anymore. It's not going to be the same. If, you, if you're just overwhelming yourself, you're going you're gonna to burn out. You really are. And then you're not going to be able to give 100% when you are with them or when you are typing the email or doing the work. So just understanding that, hey, you know, this is my baby. I got to take care of it all the time. But sometimes you need a break, you know, and don't be afraid to take it. You know, don't beat yourself up just because you want to rest and relax and just chill out and just be. You know, we're teaching people to be all the time. And it's amazing because the ones that are teaching, if anything, we're the ones that are running around all the time. You know, my little hamster in my head, I swear, is on steroids, and he's just, <laughs> he's cranking, he just always wants to run, so I think just understanding that you do have to take those pauses, you really have to, but I truly believe the reason that we don't burn out is because of our practice, because we meditate every day, and, and it's all the time, you know, we always say to people, this isn't something you do, it's something you are. I always think of a story that uh, Sharon talked about, about one of her silent reflections, when you went in and uh, you went to talk to, to the guy, and you're like, I'm ready. I can't wait for him to ask me about meditation. I don't know. And he's like, so how was your, how'd you make your tea today? And you were like, oh. I am. So the next day, she's making her tea, and she's, how many times did she spin her spoon, and how much sugar, and how hot was the flame? And she's so excited to go in there. And he's like, okay, how'd you brush your teeth today? And she's like, oh, my God, he got me again. You know, and it, and it was that, that, that concept always resonates with me where it's all the time, you know. You really, when you're mindful, it's all the time. When you're aware, it's all the time. But so you got to be still got to take a little break and have fun. I think that's a big part of it. So what's the name of the movie again? I'm supposed to see it. I forgot. Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. Okay. You're gonna lie. Like, yeah. Uh, okay. No, yeah, you'll like that one. I think all kids should watch Doctor Strange. Okay. Everyone, yeah. Sarah, and then in the back, and then we're gonna First, stop. First, I just want to say it is such a joy to see all four of you together. It's just really beautiful and alive. So thank yeah. you. And I also was thinking too because I had a real problem with the self care aspect, and I was doing rain, and I didn't really connect with it until I listened to Tara Brock. And she replaced non-identification, the very last one, with nurture. Mm-hmm. And send yourself love and loving kindness. And for me, that changed everything with it. Um, and then the second thing I wanted to say is, I don't know if you guys are doing a podcast, but I hope you do, because I could just see like how this could really take your work out into the world, especially with questions. You know, People could really learn how to do it in their own home in a way that, you know, in their own schools and homes in a way that could be really valuable. So, but thank you all. Now we got more work, guys. Goodness. I'm just joking. <laughs> it's a great idea. Shut our hands up like forever and then we'll go to you and then we'll <laughs> close. We have one more here. Okay, well, we'll just keep going. But. <laughs> 
Hello. Um, I work with a program called Cure Violence in East, um, East Harlem, and we're trying to stop uh, retaliation shootings basically from happening. And um, I wanted to bring meditation to um, the meetings. We have like peace talks with the community and stuff. And um, there, I think one huge aspect is, is meditation is missing. So I was wondering like what the conversation sounds like where you're like bringing kind of the real into, the com into, into it to get people um, to have it be appealing. And um, um, if you know of anyone locally who would, I think in Harlem, like who does the kind of work you're doing or nearby who would come and maybe be able to start working on it with me in addition to stuff. Uh, do you want to hand the microphone back? Because there's someone who in the room will likely have something to say. Thank you. Um, I mean, I know we usually just start off with, I mean, I, sometimes I don't think people know what we're going to talk about when we're going to do it. Um, we just walk in the room and just start and start off with the breath and then just kind of go from there. And a couple deep breaths, they feel a little calmer. And then we just kind of slide on into meditation and they're like, oh, okay, that's what that was. So, but yeah, a lot of times it's very, uh, yeah, they don't, a lot of times people don't, I feel like we walk into a room and people don't really know why we're there. Like we just show up and then we're like, Oh, you guys remember that, that thing we did where we were trying to, we were, when we hit the gong and you guys had to listen to it? Like, well, we're going to go to that. And then, and then they just walk away and it's just us in there. So it's, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't know if there's a specific formula that we use. It's just kind of like starting them off slowly and then kind of gradually taking it deeper. But it always starts with the breath. Jenna? Yeah, I completely Can you agree. see her? Hi. <laughs> Um, I completely agree. I mean, the thing about meditation is that it's an embodied practice. So when you're speaking to anybody about it, you know, beginning with the breath is essential, and they begin to feel it, and then they become they begin to be it, and that's how it works. Um, and regarding resources in Harlem, I have a lot of them, so I can talk with you afterwards and and write them down for you. Okay. And then there was somebody over in this end, I don't know where. Okay. Yeah. Hi, so um, I work with the juvenile justice system here in the city on education programs. And I know you had, you had mentioned that you've been working with drug, uh, drug treatment programs, mental health centers, and now you're starting juvenile justice settings, which is really exciting to hear. Um, in all those settings, uh, there are so many young people who have uh, a wide range of mental health issues, right? Psychological, psychiatric, um, not all of them, but many. And uh, I guess my question is, I, I, there's no question to me that your work is helpful for, for everyone, but I, I guess I'm wondering, have you, could you talk a bit about ways in which you may have collaborated with people that are, you know, psychologists or psychiatrists and mental health providers, um, because it's, it's also so challenging in a lot of those settings where there's such a wide range. And uh, yeah, so in, in terms of like integrating treatment or, or planning. So uh, does, that make, does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, totally. Yeah. So when we when we were um, working all that time for free at uh, for, for what we were like just volunteering our time for the for what we for this, what we loved. We used to work on the weekends as like a, um, a mental crisis facility. Like, so we would, um, we, uh, like we were in the thick of it. Like, I mean, there was just like people who were just like, 
they had, something had happened that triggered them. They went to the hospital and they went from the hospital to this place. Um, and then they had to spend like, uh, this is like what, like 21 days there. And then if they, then they would get reevaluated and then they could kind of come out, come back out in the community. Um, and it was, um, I remember we, we would be forced to do groups. Like we had to run group there. And uh, I remember we talked to our, um, actually maybe our boss even asked us, we were like, well, I mean, you guys do all that, that breathing stuff. Like, why don't you guys do it with them? And we were like, uh, is that cool? Like, we would much rather do that. And she's like, I think they get more out of it. So we would start, um, we would we talk to them about it. We talked to the, the clients there about it. And uh, we, and I know this is going to sound redundant, but it was pretty much based around the breath uh, for, for most of them. Uh, it was, that's what was helping them. And like, to the point where they were, um, they would come to the, to the, to the, to like where you get your medications from for PRN, for anxiety or, or stress or something, um, or medication is, is needed. They call it a PRN. And they were, they, they would, um, they would like stop and they would like, oh, wait a minute. And they would go and sit down, they would breathe and be like, no, nah, I'm good. And then it would be like, they, yeah, it's going to sound crazy, but the breath does a lot. Like it, it helps them, it helped them slow everything down. It helped them to kind of balance everything out. It helped to clear their mind with, if they were having like intrusive thoughts, so it was like all these things were happening, and uh, I think working there for so long and just listening to people um, helped us better understand what they were going through and better able to, to, to teach. And I think that was the other thing was just um, just being there and, and treating people like human beings and not like a, a patient. You know what I mean? Like I think that's why we had such why the people get happy when we came into the office because we would sit and talk to them. You know what I mean? It wasn't like no, I'm staff here and you're, and you're just a patient here. And then, so you stay over there. Like we're out sitting in the living room, watching TV and talking with them. I mean, like just we're there with them and listening. And if they had, if they had someone, something that they, they were struggling with, they would like, they would some, they would grab one of us and like, Hey, can we go talk in the office? And they would sit and they would talk. Cause they knew we would listen and we weren't going to judge them. We were just there. To, if we had something to help them with, we would help them. If we didn't, something that we couldn't help them with, we would, like, hey, well, maybe you need to talk to, to your doctor or maybe you need to talk to your counselor or whatever. But it was just, I think, the combination of listening and, and, and teaching them how to slow themselves down with the breath were the two biggest things that we were, were able to offer. It's just a comment when you were talking about love and word for it, and just the definition, really. There's at least two definitions of love that I've learned. One is the feeling part. And then the feeling can be a whole spectrum, and a lot of people's what they call love is really lust and infatuation, and it's not really loving. And the other part, which is really more important, is loving action, how you mm -hmm. behave to others. And I've learned the feeling part is important to the one who's doing the giving, because we feel it, the other doesn't. But the action is more important to the other person, because that's what they experience. And so there's really two parts to love. There's the feeling part and the action mm -hmm. part. And ultimately, both are important, because if we feel good, we're acting more loving. And if we're acting more loving, we'll feel good. But if we have bad That's feelings, true. we still can learn to act lovingly. Mm -hmm. So this, they're interacting, but they're two different parts. Fabulous, thank you. Beautiful. And you know, I, thinking also about what you what you asked about the facilities, and I think, um, you know, I wish I knew a resource that had almost like a mapping project because people tell me all the time, I'm working in this drug treatment center, I'm working in Rikers Island, I'm working with people, and um, so I know it exists. You know, it, it's going to take somebody kind of. Um, bringing it together in some way as a resource, and maybe New York Insight, you know, or the Garrison Institute would serve as a kind of place. Um, with the work of the Garrison Institute, we are, by the way, uh, doing a retreat there this weekend. Um, 
So if you're all free this weekend, you should check it out. Um, you know, the work that they uh, committed themselves to is usually not so much working directly with different populations, but with the people who are working with those populations. You know, so we did a four-year program uh, for people working in domestic violence shelters, and it was really uh, for the staff, you know, from frontline staff uh, up to directors and supervisors. And now, currently, there's a program working with international humanitarian aid workers, and uh, it was always a question. It's like, if you're if you're growing, you know, do you do you grow like the whole organism, you know, like the people who work in the shelters, the people who are residing in the shelters, the perpetrators and, you know, the kids and, or do you, you kind of grow laterally and just keep working with people who are often struggling, you know, trying to hold it together and do good work in this world and live well and really help others. And that was kind of, I think, the, the decision of that organization. Um, but, it, you know, being a part of their programs has, has really shown me how much incredible work is going on, that including, um, you know, bringing these tools of of yoga and meditation and to very good end. I think, which is incredibly beautiful. So thank you all for coming. Maybe we will see some of you this weekend. I'll see you guys. Just so wonderful. Um, and take care. You have some yeah, announcements. And we started with a few announcements and we're going to stop with a few announcements. So um, thank you very much for being here, for coming all the way up um, and down. <laughs> so thank you very much. Um, a quick reminder um, to about the dana, the practice of generosity. So you all um, registered and paid a fee for registration, but that is actually just going to the center, which, you know, for its operations and for providing the space. So I would really like encourage you to practice dana, practice generosity now towards this wonderful and amazing inspiration that we got tonight about love and about actually, as I perceived it, bringing the practice into the world. I think that's like one of the few times that I've like seen it really like acting out and giving me inspiration how to do that in the world. So I think that's really worth, you know, an act of generosity and also. I thought about like the flow. I also like always combine that with with you know the idea of the flow, like bringing that teaching further through our giving, and basically that you guys are here is also like an act of giving by others. So whatever you can provide, please please do so. And we have the two dana boxes back there. You can also make checks payable to New York Insight and goes completely to them, um, or you can also pay by credit card. We can also do that. Thank you and. One more announcement. Oh, I might even have an announcement. You start. Maybe it's the same one. Uh, well, I had a few things to tell you. One is about the retreat this weekend. We are actually filming the retreat so that it can be made available online. And the focus of the retreat, uh, it has this like most excellent name, People Who Care For People. It's uh, people who are in the caregiving profession, but also in your personal life. And so it's a lot about, you know, what was discussed here tonight in terms of like the balance of self-care and helping others. And um, so it's a lot of different things, but it's also a weekend that's practices. So you get a lot of time both practicing uh, 
led by Sharon and also with the guys, so doing a lot of the different breathing exercises they've been referencing tonight, things like that. So that will, I'm not sure how quickly we'll get it up, but if you check back, you know, in like a month or so and Sharon's site in on their website, you'll be able to find it there. And then the other thing is I have to give you the real love, like, reminder that the book is coming out on June 6th, but it's actually already available for pre-sale now, which is very exciting because you can run and go out. And we're going to be doing a bunch of fun things for the book. Like there's the podcast series, but then we're also doing a, a week-long challenge for it right before it comes out. So um, I hope you kind of join in on the real love party. And uh, that's it for me. You have that's else? great. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that uh, we've been most excited about, which is completely chaotic and mysterious in terms of how it would work, uh, I still don't know, but it's really encouraging people um, to buy the book to give away. Like, I have this connection at Rikers Island, um, you know, and they can only, you know, being in prison, can only accept a certain number of books. and in a certain way, but there are lots of organizations where I would just feel good, you know, to think, oh yeah, you know, the book's going out for free to, to all these places, and how to execute that is like a mystery to me at the moment, you know, so we'll have to get information about who might like some books, and uh, I even thought, I'm, I grew up in New York City, I was a public school kid, I counted on public libraries, and I thought, okay, you know, like, how about just, you know, campaigns to get not just my book, but books uh, into libraries. And so somewhere out there, there's something that's going to happen. I don't know what yet, but something. And I thought a lineage project, you know, how many books would you like? Uh, and fitting it all together. But it is it's an exciting moment in time. So thank you. Thank you. Don't forget to say I love you to someone. Yes. Oh, they're in the book. Yeah. You have to say I love you to someone you don't know? Yeah. How about someone here before you go? You could do that. It's easier. Get your homework assignment done It's easier. <laughs> love you all. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. Join us this summer for the Real Love Challenge. To get your copy of Real Love, visit SharonSalzberg.com. May all beings be happy.